101 to episode 222. Barry, it's like the old TV show from the late 60s, Room 222. Do you remember that show? Oh, 222. Is it Denise Nicholas? Yes, and Karen Valentine. Karen Valentine. The uh, the lead actor's name was Lloyd. I can't remember his last name. Lloyd Braun. Uh, no, it was not Lloyd Braun. Good-looking black guy. His name was Lloyd something. I'm sure Sweet Lou will chime in if he uh, gets a chance to do a little quick research. But episode 222, Breaking KP by Bowder and Barry. First of all, got to take care of some housekeeping matters. On behalf of Barry and Lou and myself, we would like to wish everyone a slightly belated Happy New Year. Barry, I know you joined with me on that. You know what, Jeff, this was, so how was your New Year's first off? How was everything? Did you and Kim, did you paint coming Georgia red? Were you out on the town? We went out barely wearing any clothes. We had sex in public. We just did the nasty all throughout the, no, of course not. We sat home and didn't do a fucking thing. As a matter of fact, since it came up on the old Breaking Kayfabe about it and Barry Facebook group tonight, Barry, did you, I know that you were, otherwise detained uh, 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 in the uh, in the mountainous regions of Pennsylvania did you happen to watch any of the new year's eve shows i did not and jeff we can break kayfabe oh we're going to we're going to admit it we're going to we admit can't it. we can admit it Wait because my my kids upcoming, know <laughs> upcoming announcement upcoming at breaking kayfabe has a special announcement we are breaking kayfabe to you the listeners we are breaking kayfabe. So what were you doing New Year's Eve, Barry Rose? Oh, I was doing what every every male would like to be doing on New Year's You're Eve. Off? What? Uh, yes, sir. So, uh, and this is because my kids are aware. I have had uh, conversations, and the young lady that I am in a relationship with has met and had discussions and talked with my kids. So I do not have to. Re- this doesn't have to be referred to as pasta. Any longer, Jeff, we don't have to come up with catchy euphemisms for what's going on. But I uh, happy to say I am very happy and in a relationship. Uh, I happiest I've been in quite a long time. Now, and, is it a monogamous uh, relationship at this point? Absolutely. So it's a uh, I got it. So something that was discussed and that's how is that we both are, you know, we're adults. And the truth is, I look, I'm legally, I'm an adult. Certainly I'm a child in every other regard, but I didn't, uh, neither of us wanted to date multiple people. We, we wanted to be exclusive and there, you know, there's reasons for it, which, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out those for a lot of those reasons, but, uh, it, it's really, I, I gotta tell you that it is, it's unbelievable. Not, uh, you know, it's been a, been a weird couple of years for everybody, yeah. obviously. And then going through a divorce and, you know, when COVID hit, we were technically already separated. I was living in the house in the basement. I would refer to the basement all the time. So, uh, it was a weird couple of years and I'm in a relationship now and, uh, it is, it's fantastic. I, it's, I, I don't know how to even describe it. That's how happy and I am with all of it. So, okay, yeah. So I'm going to ask the question. Sure. That everyone in the group wants to know. No, not that question, Mr. Dirty Mind. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. No, no, not that one. The question I want to ask on behalf of you, the listener, is Barry Rose, has the word been spoken yet? Yes. Oh! So... (laughs) 
So what that I love that you bring this up because this is so again uh, uh, this show and and if you're new to you know I know that we've Mike Wilson has gone back and is listening to the early episodes. Mike Wilson, Barry Rose's biggest fan. I think so, Mike just was made aware that I uh, apparently am on the show also. He just Mike has now come to the realization that your name comes first, but uh, but Jeff and I we you know th- this show is born out of really phone conversations, Jeff and I would sit around and talk about movies, music. We'd break kayfabe on everything. And uh, Jeff's, you know, so that this is what it is. So Jeff and I were talking and I said to Jeff that- This is when uh, we break kayfabe on life, Barry. And that's exactly what it is. And about two or three weeks ago, I think it was three weeks ago, and I mentioned this to Jeff, that the, she had said the word to me. And I, uh, I think I freaked out a little bit, right? Yeah, like you kind of hemmed and hawed, as it were. I hemmed, hawed. I uh, there was blank stare. You scratch your, your feet in the uh, dirt yeah. like a horse would do. A horse. I was drooling at one point. I technically, I'm. You and I are never at a loss for words. Completely at a loss for words. I think the phrase might have been a hemmin, 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 and uh, yes. So I was completely freaked out by it. We discussed it. I apologize because that wasn't the reaction that anyone wants when you say it. But I, I, you know, I had to explain myself, and I wanted to be honest. And I will tell you that over this past weekend, the word was said to each other. As we looked in each other's eyes, and oh, that's nice. I can it's, tell it's, you it's those those blue eyes are Barry Rose's. They it is, get but I I am in love, Jeff Bowdrin. Oh, okay, that's right. with more than just Ozzy. With more than Ozzy, Ozzy has become our child. He sleeps over her house every time I go over. Obviously, and we did. We went to the Poconos this past weekend. We had a log cabin. Uh, log cabin. Pardon me. We had a cabin. It was not made of logs. We had a cabin. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Lincoln. Yeah, exactly. It was Abe Lincoln, myself, and and my 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 girlfriend. I don't. What's the word? No, no. Right? As as my mom used to refer to Kim, your lady friend. My lady friend. That's and that, I like that actually. But we were in a cabin in the middle of the woods in an area in the Poconos in Pennsylvania called Dingman's Ferry. And we spent uh, two nights, three days in this remote cabin. We did not leave the cabin other than to walk Ozzy. Um, we cooked. We just stayed in. We celebrated New Year's Eve in the cabin. And uh, on New Year's Eve, I I looked at her and I said, I got to tell you, I I really, really love you. And oh, I, wow. Here was the important thing about that, like Jeff. It was a Hallmark uh, movie here. Go it ahead. was a Hallmark movie. I realized... Uh, that we're in love. So it wasn't like I, and I, we were talking about it. We, we really talk about everything and it wasn't that I loved her or she loved me. And I realized we were in love and it was a really, really huge moment right there. And I felt this cause I had called you like after maybe my first or second date with her. And I had told you, I said, Jeff, there, this is, there's like something happening here. There's something I, I, by the way, I'm honored that I was the person you called. Uh, you know, I, I did. You, Do you remember you, that? You could have called Brian last. You could have I called could've. Lou. Could have. Uh, I could have. But I, I remember I was in the parking lot leaving the, the place we had uh, had dinner and drinks. And I called you and I said, there's something really special happening here. Catching me maybe a little off guard. Maybe I'm a little unprepared. I, I was married for 22 years. I was with my ex for 25 years. And that's a long time. And I definitely wasn't the same. You know, you're just things change, right? Like, I don't I don't fucking know anymore. And I it was just all a little confusing in some ways. 
And uh, I remember calling you that night. And it was about 10 o'clock at night, maybe right after 10 o'clock. And I said, Jeff, there's something happening here. And we talked about it. And this yeah, the intro to a song, there's something happening here. here. Yeah. Bill's Nash and Young, maybe? I think you're right. I think <laughs> you're right. So, yeah. So, it was a long story short. Uh, I am in a re- committed relationship. I, I am in love. Uh, and I could be no happier. Life is great. Okay. So, for the benefit of the listeners and the people in the Brothership group, there are a couple of very key questions that need to be discussed. Number one, does she know about your love for Swayze? No, she does oh. not know about that. Yes, okay. not yet, but no. Number two, does she know about your love for Billy Robinson? She does know about my love Ooh. for Billy Robinson. That's nice. You you tell about Billy Robinson before you talk about that. That's crazy. Well, can I tell you why? Okay. So it came up. Uh, you saw that I had posted a postcard in the CWF group from Billy Robinson. I did, yes. And then I posted a photo of a 12-year-old Barry Rose with Billy Robinson and I sent her the photo. She then said, who is that? And I explained who it was and my love for Billy Robinson. However, okay. Okay, we did discuss Patrick Swayze. I didn't get into the love that I have for him, but we discussed dirty dancing because that's been a topic in the Facebook group lately. Okay. So next, have you mentioned your love for Jumbo Saruta? I have not. No. Okay. That's- and finally, the, the four horsemen of Barry Rose's life, if you will. Have you discussed <laughs> your love for Pam Greer? I did discuss. I thought you okay. were going to say Cox. Like, what did you do? Tell her you love Cox. I thought that's where <laughs> yeah. you were going to go, right? So I uh, I forget who posted it in our Facebook group. Yes, Pam I Greer, saw the picture of Pam Greer. Yes. Looking lovely. And I I said to her, and I said, you know, and so I should say my ex-wife is uh, nine and a half years younger, almost 10 years younger than I am. And uh, the woman I am dating is a, just maybe a little bit younger, so roughly the same age. And I said, you know who Pam Greer is? And she goes, of course I know who Pam Greer is, right? So I showed her the photo. She looked at the photo. She goes, lovely woman. I said, isn't she hot? And she goes, she is really hot. So that's pretty cool. Yes. Now, uh, if you uh, <clears throat> put this delicately, if you end up <laughs> having carnal relations, I'm not going to say anything other than that. All right. Will she be upset if you uh, if you ask if you can call her Pam? Hmm. <laughs> I, I, she might be okay with that. Well, I don't that's, a, that's a catch. That's a catch. Yeah. Certainly. So, well, you know, so far uh, she's getting ready to meet the kids. She's already met Ozzy. She likes Pam Greer. You've talked to her about Billy Robinson. So, you know, it, it, we may have a, a love match. So that's good. So now that we've gone through that whole chain of events, let's talk about what else is upcoming on this week's edition. Episode 222, Barry of Breaking Kayfabe with Adrian and Barry. We are going to go to Japan. Oh, once again, Barry, I know how much you love when we walk down the King's Road. We are going to September 5th, 1996. It's the bad man from Borger, Texas, Stan Hansen, taking on Kenta Kobashi, another humdinger, would you not agree, Mr. Rose? Absolutely a humdinger, too. And Kobashi, look, you and I have talked about, a lot of people think Misawa was the guy, right? But then when you and I discussed it, I think we both feel Kobashi was the guy. And that's not takeaway from Misawa. Kobashi was the guy. Yeah. In a lot of ways, almost a perfect professional wrestler. Yep. You know, had all the ability in the ring. He had the the fire. He had, you know, he was tall enough, had a good enough build where it wasn't a guy that was like too short or too fat or too thin, too tall, whatever. He was in some ways a perfect representation of what you want a pro wrestler to be. Okay. Besides that, 
our top 10 this week, Barry, another topic that, well, maybe you don't want to discuss this now that you've given us this new revelation. We are going to talk about the top 10 hottest women out there, other than, of course, our uh, our significant others. I would say that, of course, Barry. And uh, I don't know if Pam Greer is on this list, but anyway, our friends at the top10.com are offering up their choices for the top 10, quote, hottest women. Besides that, we're going to be looking not necessarily a top 10 list, but we're going to be discussing what are the best James Cameron films. I know you love a good James Cameron movie, Barry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And finally, I'm going to be offering some uh, thoughts during the holiday season. Had to go over to the lovely Kelly Cohn's house, my daughter, uh, as uh, she was having some work done while they were on a cruise. I'm just going to say that, Barry. And uh, I got to go over there. And of course, they have the Disney Channel. So I availed myself of the opportunity. I watched the fantastic, because we love a good documentary, Barry. The fantastic recent documentary by Peter Jackson, the guy that made Lord of the Rings and all those movies. He uh, has gone in, looked at the archive footage, pieced together, had something like, I want to say like 30 hours of film footage originally shot and uh, put into the movie Let It Be about uh, the Beatles recording what ended up being their final album. And uh, wow, it's a pretty fascinating look at... uh, Four guys that were uh, just buddies from uh, uh, the same town, and uh, it's pretty mind-boggling how good this film is, especially, I'm just going to put this out there, and then we'll go to our match of the week. Uh, It's mind-boggling because when Let It Be was originally released, I want to say like 1970, 1971, one of the things that was discussed was there were people that were really sad about the movie because they felt like... It told the story of a band that was basically beginning to disintegrate. And then, of course, people like, well, ah, friggin' Yoko, yada, yada, yada. And this is a movie with all this other footage that was never made part of the film that really shows four guys that genuinely liked each other. I, you know, they had little, you know, kind of moments where they were pissy at one another about one thing or another. But four guys that had known each other for, you know, years and years who really liked one another, who got along. Uh, you know, Yoko is not shown to be the heel that she was made out to be as the person that somehow worked John Lennon's mind and turned him against the group, whatever you want to think about that. Uh, you know, she she comes across as, as you know, although she sits in on the, uh, the music uh, uh, in the studio with them, she does not come across as a bad person, I will say that. And I think it makes for a fascinating look at, uh, you know, especially if you're a Beatles fan, but if you're just a fan of music, and a fan of that time frame, it's a really fascinating look uh, at what was going on in that period of their lives. So now that all been well, said. Jeff, there, let me ask you a question okay, about that. So, and, and before you said it, that was the first thing in my head. How was Yoko portrayed? So with that, Yoko has, and I'm not the biggest Beatles fan. I think you're a much bigger Beatles fan than I am. But with that, Yoko has been portrayed for the last five decades or so as the catalyst of warping John's mind and essentially getting him removed from the Beatles, causing the breakup of the Beatles. She's evil. She's terrible. You know, Yoko, I don't think did herself any favor sometimes in the public spotlight. Certainly her music is a, I want to, is it an acquired taste? I don't even know if it's that. That's a, that's a very polite way of putting it. Right. But what's your take on that? It had, has she been getting fucked? Is this a raw deal she's been getting for five decades? 
I think the original version of Let It Be did not do her any favors. Let's put it that way. Okay. You know? And, you know, it, there was a lot of conflict, I think, at first with her being in the studios because none of the other guys had ever had their wives or girlfriend in the studios while they were making an album. That was like sort of their sacred ground uh, that was just for the four of them and, you know, uh, backing musicians or or uh, or the producer George Martin or the studio guys uh, that were making the albums. But so she sort of violated that space. And I think at first that might have been uh, kind of a little bit of a sensitive area. But I think to answer your question, I think she is uh, presented in a much more favorable light uh, in this movie. And I don't, I, I don't think it was done with any sort of intention. You basically are looking at about out of about 30 hours of raw footage. I'm going to say the you know, this is told, I want to say, in three uh, different parts. And I want to say each part is probably over two hours. So you're probably looking between seven and nine hours of, of, of film out of the original 30 hours, as opposed to like an hour and 45 minutes that the original movie might have been. So you're getting a much more fleshed out look at what went on uh, with the, uh, the the final album, what went on with that final concert on the rooftop that was so iconic. And, uh, you know, it's 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 very interesting. And the... Uh, just watching the guys have, and you know, what's really amazing is to sit there and think, and this kind of staggers the imagination that a couple of guys from the neighborhood that met each other, you know, when they were like 14, 15 years old, that were basically from the same part of town, you know, and, you know, then they, the Ringo came in uh, much later. I, I don't want to turn this into a whole Beatles discussion here, but it's pretty fascinating the way that these guys from basically the same neighborhood, essentially, like turn into the biggest band in the world and you know uh, who who's you know impact in the music industry is still felt today and you know with with you know, McCartney and and uh you know and Ringo still being with us and stuff like that George Harrison is really a guy as you sit there and you watch some of the stuff that he does you you realize you really didn't appreciate George Harrison you know like you probably should have he was an amazing musician yeah, George Harrison was the guy, I I, I would say, you know, because even Ringo people, was the quiet call. one. Ringo even got more attention where it's sometimes rare, right, for the drummer to get that yeah. attention. But, yeah, certainly it was, you know, Paul and, and John, Ringo and, and George. So with that, again, you being a bigger Beatles fan, too, would you say, would you follow the, I guess, the universal opinion that the Beatles are the greatest rock and roll band of all time? Uh, if not your favorite, are they the greatest, though? I don't know that they were the greatest rock band of all time. And let me just quantify that. I think that potentially they may have had a a greater impact than any you know, Again, these guys were together for six or seven years, you know, like, I mean, they broke in the United States in February of 1964 and they were broken up by that time, 1971 rolled around, maybe even a little bit before that. So think about that. All those albums came out that are so, you know, iconic to the music industry. They came out over like a six and a half year period, six and a half years. Think about where we're at now, January of 2022. If you had had a band that came out in 2015, boom, they're already broken up. And, you know, they completely changed the music industry. Now, certainly there were people before them, you know, uh, your Elvises, your Little Richards, Chuck Berry, guys like that, that kind of set the uh, 
set the ball up on the on the tee for them to swing at. But, you know, these guys definitely game changed. And, and a lot of guys that came after him maybe would not have come after them uh, if it hadn't been for the Fab Four, if you will, Barry. So now, all that being said, we're going to have a further discussion on this uh, a little later in the show. Why don't we go to our match of the week, uh, September 5th, 1996. It's Stan Hansen versus Kenta Kobashi, and they are walking that King's Road. Barry, what do you say we talk about our match of the week? We are going to September 5th, 1996. Barry, you and I both love when we walk down the King's Road. Stan Hansen versus Kenta Kobashi. Barry, you had a chance to watch this match. Tell the folks what you think. Did you did you enjoy the beginning or the end of the match more, Barry? Well, I got to say, so I'm going to break kayfabe on this one. I actually did watch this match, Jeff. Wow! <laughs> I actually yay. did. And I watched it for the first off. I'm a uh, I'm a huge Kobashi fan. I think Kobashi, I guess he gets overshadowed by Misawa. There's always going to be a comparison, right? Roughly the same time, uh, two guys that laid it out. And I think Misawa was the chosen one. But at the same time, I always really enjoyed watching Kobashi work. And uh, he was I the guy with the chops. Of the- I have to say, Barry. If I'm given uh, my choice between watching a Masawa match and a Kobashi match, I'm watching Kobashi because you, you got two guys that are absolute, no question about it, friggin' legends. This isn't like you're asking somebody to watch, oh, pick between Brutus Beefcake and uh, Hillbilly Jim. I mean, these are two fucking stellar, stellar wrestlers. However, my preference for Kobashi, and I'm, I'm guessing this has something to do with why you like him, is he shows way more facial expressions and shows more fire in the ring than Masawa does. Masawa very much like a stone face and expressionless during his matches. It was always like that too. Like I yes, don't recall no, him ever. Like yeah, I think that's a lot of it. I like the I like the the Kobashi smile when he does that. Uh, I like the whole chops and there, there's a difference in in the way that they wrestle too. Kobashi was built like Kobashi was a big guy by Japanese standards physically, where Masawa was you know was built more like a I think a standard Japanese wrestler, but there's just something about when he gets in the ring that I've always enjoyed. And that's not to take away from Misawa either at all, but, but a huge fan. So I was really happy to do it. And the words that you just used Kings road style, let's be honest. This is the reason that you and I uh, enjoy being wrestling fans right now. We like a good stiff match. We don't want to see, you know, guys who aren't touching each other. So this match starts off pretty good too. They they come right out of the ring. Uh, there are chops right in the beginning. They're they're throwing fists. Uh, Hanson's doing his headbutts. He throws him out of the ring. Uh, but it's a great back and forth. Hanson lands this elbow smash. And Kobashi, this is another thing too. Kobashi sells this like somebody just like like cut down a tree. Like <laughs> like one of the great selling jobs. Yeah, he does he does that a couple times during the yeah. match. It's really well done. It's it's really good too, and you're gonna get all the standard Hanson spots with this. He's uh, kicking at Kobashi's spine, but they there's a there's a sequence in here too where they're trading these really really stiff slaps, and certainly uh, Kobashi was known for it. Hanson's a guy that I think just wanted a physical contest, but uh, but they really go for it. But you're gonna get everything here. You're gonna get wrestling. There's some great suplexes that occur, but really the ending of this match, Jeff. I think is everything uh, that people would be looking for with this. You know, for me, that's it's such a great way when you see that all Japan position their matches 
And especially during this era, during this really strong Kings Road area where every match told a story because there was this great beginning, middle and end. And much like every other match from this era from all Japan, you're going to get that here and you're going to get this great ending. And I love the fact I'm not I'm not going to spoil it. I'll let I don't know. Do I spoil Jeff, no, what happens ahead. at the end? The match right, I mean, is only, old, right? uh, you know, 25, 25 years, old. years old. Right, exactly. So Hanson actually loses and Kobashi wins, which wasn't, uh, you know, Hanson wasn't doing a lot of jobs back in those days. And uh, it, there's so much that happens at the very ending with this, too. The Kobashi does this driving drop kick. If you remember that, too, he was known for this. And it, it, now you'll see this a lot. Certainly people are doing it, uh, WWE, even the bigger companies. But you didn't see these driving drop kicks back in the day. Does this beautiful driving drop kick, only gets a two count with this, but comes back and it's it's just a thing of beauty. Uh, Kobashi hits first. He kicks Hansen's arm. Hansen then spins around with this and connects with the lariat. One, two, man, that's as close to a three count as I've ever seen. Kobashi kicks out. Uh, Hansen then ducks a clothesline, lands a back suplex for two again, but Kobashi charges. Hansen lands a boot. Kobashi runs back to the rope, connects with a second lariat. One, two, three, Kobashi wins. And Kobashi's still the AJJPW Triple Crown Heavyweight Champion. And this is a long match for me, too, Jeff. It's like 27, 28 minutes, something around there. But this is absolutely fantastic. And what I also like about this match is we've reviewed over the last few days. We did an AJ-style Samoa Joe match, which has parts of a King Road style. But overall, it's not King's Road. We did a Memphis match, which is as far from King's Road as you can get. So this, for me, was kind of a needed break in some ways, getting such a great match. But uh, where does this rank in the top 100, Jeff? Was not. Well, because it's the 90s. It's in the 90s. There you go. I haven't got around to doing the top 100 of the 90s. Thank you very much. So, uh, yeah, uh, the notes I made on this, uh, the first note I said was uh, brutality. This match is just, these guys are just beating the friggin' stew out of one another. Uh, You you mentioned uh, Hanson kicking Kobashi in the back and the spine. Uh, The word I used was, he like punts. There is an audible like sound that is the kind of sound you hear when you're watching football or soccer and that foot meets ball and it's like, boom. And that's exact. And you're like, Oh my God, that looks like it hurts. So the other thing you didn't mention is talk about things you don't see during a Stan Hansen match. Stan Hansen, by the way, during this match, very 47 years old. Wow. Okay. And Stan Hansen throws Kobashi outside the ring. And then he does, uh, he hits the other ropes on the other side of the ring runs and does a dive onto Kobashi. How many times have you seen Stan Hansen do a dive outside the ring, Bear? Yeah, never. <laughs> yeah. Except for this, yeah. Uh, Kobashi, the selling by Kobashi is just on a next level, whether it's his face, facial reactions, uh, the way his, his body is, you know, like when he gets kicked in the back and, you know, maybe he's not selling there. Maybe it really did hurt. But, you know, he just, he conveys that emotion so well. Um, the note I made was that uh, at this match, uh, as I said, Stan was 47 years old, and he, to me, came off like the old vet hanging on. And as a matter of fact, I believe this was, uh, first of all, it was the last time Stan Hansen ever wrestled, uh, as far as I could tell, uh, for the Triple Crown uh, Championship in a singles match. Uh, he, wow. uh, They did a spot. You, you mentioned Hansen 
hit him with the lariat, got the one, the two, and then he just kicked out in time. Somebody, uh, I was reading some uh, people thoughts on this match, and somebody said that might have been the first time in the history of All Japan that someone had kicked out of Stan Hansen's lariat. Like, that's a move, like, when Stan hit that move, the match was over. Uh, I don't know if that's accurate. I read it somewhere, but uh, it made me stop to think, like, geez, you know, maybe you're right. I, it's it's not like, some, you know, something that, you know, is a transition spot, and Stan hits it, and the guy kicks out every other week. So it was very rare. Um, Kobashi throws these punches at Stan's stomach, and Stan Hansen sells these He, like, crumples in the corner like you're watching, you know, somebody wrestling smoking Joe Frazier or George Foreman or Mike Tyson, one of those big, heavy-handed guys, and it, they just kind of crumple, and he crumples in the corner and goes down to the mat, and he's selling it almost like – it almost looks like he's crying. And I'm going, yeah, Stan Hansen is not a guy that you see selling a punch to the stomach or the kidneys. Uh, you don't see Stan Hansen selling that, you know, that way. Uh, and that really impressed me. Uh, Stan later gets a power bomb uh, that he hits Kobashi with on the floor after pulling the mat up. So Kobashi's taking the power bomb on the concrete. It just looks absolutely beautiful. There is a, uh, there's a, as Barry said, a big post-match schmoz where Stan comes back in. Uh, you know, you could say it's to, to get his heat uh, back or whatever, but uh, he basically uh, continues to, uh, to beat on Kobashi after Kobashi has already got the win, by the way. And it kind of came off as uh, Stan Hansen's last stand, if you will. And as I was sitting there watching this match and I thought about this, you know, being the old vet hanging on Stan Hansen's last stand. You know, who I thought of Barry, I'm going to throw a name at you. And you tell me if you know who this is. All right. Eddie Harris. You know who Eddie Harris is? I don't. Doesn't ring. Remember the pitcher in major league? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. 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 Tom Berenger? Uh, No, no. Tom Berenger was the the older guy. The old guy. And he yeah. was the guy that was out there. He was putting spit on the ball. He was doing it like Phil Necro for your old time baseball fans. Not just because he had a knuckleball, but uh, Nolan Ryan. These guys are in their 40s and they're still out there doing it. And Stan Hansen was like that. By you God. know who I'm thinking of, Jeff? I'm thinking of the first, I guess, the the first pitcher for the Miami Marlins, Charlie Huff. That's a very good. He was a knuckleballer, too. Yeah. And uh, but it's a very, very similar. And that's what Stan is in this match. Stan's a guy who still really got it, but let's face it, his prime was probably, you know, maybe five, 10 years before, okay, maybe even 15. Stan Hansen had been in Japan for, geez, at this point, uh, probably 17, 18 years, if not a, a few more, and and had been a headliner everywhere, and, and Baba definitely took care of Stan Hansen throughout his career. There's no question about it. I want to say Stan finally officially retired from the All Japan Rings uh, or in Japan around 2000, somewhere in that. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy that had a 25-year run, not just in wrestling. He was wrestling in Japan, where, right. where you know, the, <laughs> in, in wrestling that King's Road style. Good Lord, how is Stan Hansen not like just like eating uh, eating his food out of a you know being fed by a baby you know baby food out of with a spoon because he's stuck in a fetal position in a chair with the amount of abuse that he took. Now, to be fair, Stan with his poor eyesight, he definitely uh, gave as much as he got, no question about it. But uh, yeah, Stan Hansen, the old vet hanging on against the young Kenta Kobashi. We will post a link to this match in our group, Breaking K Fable Badgerberry. Outstanding, outstanding match. Uh, I would have to guess if I did do a top 100 of the 90s, Barry, this match would have to be in there. 
I would think so. And I think if you're looking for a good match to show somebody the King's Road style also, I think this is like the perfect match to see. That's a great point about Stan Hansen, who, by the way, was, I think, he's got to be in my top five favorite guests ever for our show. That was the only time we had on a, I mean, Stan Hansen, is there one person that would say he, he isn't legendary? Guy's a legend. He had his granddaughter on his lap the entire interview. Yes. I just, no, I, that's yeah, incredible. I uh, but just, yeah, just, he's incredible. And I think that's a guy we need to get back on with us, Jeff. And I, as I recall, uh, Stan Hansen's finishing move, the Lariat may have been a column that someone wrote in your old newsletter, Barry, who was that guy? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I don't, who was it? Um, you know what, actually strike. It, that, it, I was going to say, I knew what you, I knew it. I knew it. So uh, I know who the Lariat was. That was no, Dave but that Hitler. was. That was you, sir, but no, you, no. sir, were the Akia, uh, Akira uh, Maeda. I was the shoot kick. I was, shoot kick, but shoot kick. I was the right. one that gave uh, Dave Shearer the idea for the name of the yeah. Lariat, there you which go. was the name of his newsletter. So, Lou, please edit that shit out where I look like a <laughs> moron. Because in my head, I was thinking, I'm going, wait a minute, you were shoot kick. Yeah. Barry, you know, now that you're out there again, you're single and ready to mingle. You're uh, free to be you and me. I think it's time for Barry Rose, avowed heterosexual. I, I, am I correct? Uh, 100% avowed. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Of course. Are you willing right. to learn? I am always willing to learn, Jeff. Okay. So I thought I'd give you, Barry, yet again from the top10s.com list, Barry Rose. I, I, of course, being a happily married man, the sainted Mrs. Baldron will sure. not be participating in this in any way. <clears throat> And Jeff, you married up. We can say you married up. That was, no, that's no, there's no question about that. Yes. I don't know about the first two marriages, but this one I definitely married up. It, yes. I present to you top 10 hottest women in the world, Barry. Are you ready to go? Wow. Because we'll see if any of these are potentially the next future, Mrs. Rose. Okay. Yeah, are exactly. you ready to go? Let's now, do it. I will say, having glanced at this, <laughs> there is a... I'm I'm going to be that guy, okay? Uh, and I'm just going to be a fair-minded, open guy. There's a certain minority segment of the female population that perhaps is not as well represented as as others. I'll just say that. But we this should is, say that's not our fault, Jeff. No, right? no, no. This is not our list. Right. That being said, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's going to say, "Oh, I can't believe you didn't fucking include this person." And you know, we don't want you to think it's on us, okay? It, it just happens to be the top tens. So. We're going to start off with you always do, Barry. Low on those. Before we get to that actual top 10 list for 25, Barry, Kate Beckinsdale. Oh, baby. Absolutely. My God. There is a photo. Are you trying to say that if Kate Beckinsdale was available to a, a, a good looking, freshly shaved on the top of the head, Barry Rose, maybe a little <laughs> three day beard stubble going, that Kate Beckinsdale, you, you'd say, okay, fine, I'll go out with you. Kate Beckinsale, yes. And if that occurred, I would I would lick her shoes clean if she asked me to. There is a photo out there, and I know that I saw it on the internet, but there's some photo of her that came from a magazine where she's sitting in what appears to be her panties and a long sleeve shirt rolled up like a sleep shirt. And I got to tell you, you just sit there and you go, oh, my God, she shouldn't be legal. She is. What's also interesting about her is she's a very confident, intelligent woman besides being beautiful. Now, do you see, is that a positive or is that a flaw? 
I so at this stage of the game, that's an excellent question, by the way. At this stage of the game, I do see it as a positive, meaning she wants nothing to do with me, obviously. Hmm. But at the same time, she is uh, she is the, like the master of her domain in a sense. She has dated a lot Princess of of the palace. Princess, did you ever see that movie she did? Broke down palace. Uh, oh. I did not see that one. I, I saw the one where she was like fighting. Uh, oh God, what was it? Was it Underworld? Underworld. Or yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, God. you wore a lot of leather in that. I, a I lot of leather. Yeah. So jumping ahead, Barry, 22. One of the older women listed on this particular uh, segment, Jennifer Aniston. Does she still have it in Barry Rose's mind? Eh. So here's the thing about Jennifer Aniston. She's gorgeous, right? She's drop-dead gorgeous from head to toe. If you look at her, every part of her appears to be perfect. But there's something that is – she has – she doesn't have any sexiness. She's not sensual. She gives this vibe of like a guy almost. It's weird to me. I watch her in interviews. And when you look at her, you go, my God, like this woman is flawless. There's not a flaw on her. She has no sex appeal whatsoever, in my opinion, when you hear her talk. I don't well, get it. I, I will say this. It's not age. Yeah. Uh, about Jennifer Aniston, okay? I was never into the show Friends. Uh, mm -hmm. I think in the history of that fine program, I watched maybe two episodes. Just didn't appeal to me uh, at all. Uh, I know there was always the, oh, which one of the three women would you most be into? And, you know, that was when she was uh, younger and you know, very attractive. To me, she's more attractive and, and uh, she presents herself more... Uh, What's the word? I'm on? more sex appeal, in my opinion, as she's gotten older than when she was younger. I will reference the movie Horrible Bosses when she had that little smutty mouth on her. And mm. all of a sudden I was like, oh, my. Hey, hello. <laughs> well, doctor, we may have a new uh, new uh, item to look at here. And she became much more sexy to me. What did you think of that movie, by the way? I like that movie. So in, in movies, she's done, I think she's done three movies or four movies that I've seen. She did that movie. She did Office Space, which I've seen a million times. And then she did We're the Millers, I think it was called. Yes, and, and it was similar vibe to that, too. Yeah, yeah. So she's good in that. There's just something about her where I, she doesn't ooze sex appeal. However, if you're asking me who is the sexiest of the three female leads on the TV show Friends, she clearly wins that hands down for me also. Okay, next up, 21, Barry, Jennifer Love Hewitt, what do you think? I, I'll say, for so for a lot of our listeners, I know right now a lot of them are cranking off to this, like Javorski. Javorski's probably well, I didn't take the, didn't take this list for Javorski to crazy. He's watching Baker Mayfield. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. The oh. I actually got that, too. Uh, so Jennifer Love Hewitt. has been watching football recently, Barry. I, <laughs> Exactly. I have been. I right. What Mayhew Gardner Mayhew, the <laughs> second. Exactly. I've paid attention this past Sunday. But so Jennifer Love Hewitt, besides being MIA, I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard a word about her in years. Last I heard she was dating Jamie Kennedy like 15 years ago, which that says a lot. That'll bring you down on a list dating <laughs> Jamie Kennedy. But she up uh, in her heyday. She was really naturally beautiful. Like, I don't think there was really any sort of work done on her. She was just one of those natural beauties. I don't know at this stage. I don't know how old she is, and I don't know how any of that plays out. But I would say, yeah, she, was, she was beautiful. Jennifer Love Hewitt during the Can't Hardly Wait film. Yeah. Like, she was like 
really hot looking girl, you know? Yeah. yeah. And she, of course, naturally she falls for the regular schlubby guy. Yeah. Of course that yeah. always happened. Always in movies. Sure. Exactly. So, uh, okay. Let's see what we got. Uh, for, oh, Barry, here's a young lady that we've talked about before. And, uh, we did a movie of the week, uh, number 20, Barry, Natalie Portman. <sighs> not, not a huge fan. I can appreciate her beauty. I know that a lot of the star Wars, geeks that are in our Facebook group and listening to this podcast right now are going, what? No, Natalie Portman. How could you say that at the same time? I don't know. You know, I, I Natalie Portman to me is always going to be this little kid in uh, the professional with Jean Renault, you know? So I don't know. I, as an adult, I don't know, you know, it's just not my thing, but uh, certainly beautiful. Okay. Uh, also, uh, as we're bumping up the list here, Marilyn Monroe at number 18, were you a big fan I mean, hard to say, you know, I was, I, I think she died before I was born. So, uh, well, but if I, uh, let me just put it this way. Uh, sure. and also for me too. Uh, well, actually I would have been uh, about nine just months made old. It. When she, right. You just made it. Yeah. Uh, Marilyn Monroe, I find more attractive in the black and white photos than I yes. do in the color photos. She had, you know, maybe it's the photography. I don't know. Uh, did she have a sex appeal? Yes. Uh, yes, she did. She was obviously a beautiful woman. Uh, certainly uh, <clears throat> passed around a bit, if you will, yep. uh, from uh, various uh, movie stars, politicians, et cetera, not mentioning any names. Gangsters. Uh, well, musicians, we, don't, right? we don't go into politics, very <laughs> so we won't mention That's all the true. politicians. All right. She's allegedly uh, had sex with. Yes. But, uh so I think she's she's definitely uh, an icon. I think she's an icon uh, now, not just think, to like. Uh, I think you just nailed it, Jeff, too, when you said it. I, Marilyn Monroe is pretty. I don't think she is this, you know, out of this world classical beauty. What makes her really attractive in the words you just used? Sex appeal. Marilyn Monroe had this and then she had enough for everyone. So she does come across as extremely sexy, which I think is a guy that's really going to translate to us. Okay, number 15, Barry, Rihanna. Now, there are going to be those out there that are going to say, I can't believe she's not fucking number one. Barry, Rihanna, what do you think? Too uh, high, too low, what do you think? It's hard for me to say if she's too high or too low. I could tell well, you, Was Rihanna, it a coincidence you were doing heavy breathing when I just I, asked about <laughs> See, no, there's no such thing as a coincidence, Jeff. You know that. Rihanna is absolutely stunningly beautiful. And then the fact that I think she's one of the most gifted and talented singers out there. Her voice is literally, it's magic. So I, I would say, yeah, Rihanna deserves to be on this list. Absolutely. But is she too low or is she in a good spot there? I, I would have to hear the names above. I would think in my head, off the top of my head, Rihanna should be a top 10 as for the most beautiful women. So I'd have to hear the other names. Now. Right above her at number 14, again, controversial selection, Beyonce. Now, yeah. let me just add, before you give me a comment, did in fact, and I understand he's got more money than friggin' God, but you have to, you have to figure based on Jay-Z, he married up here. Oh God. So Jay-Z, not, not what we would call traditionally a handsome man, certainly wealthy, certainly very intelligent to be in the position that he's in. As a musician, very talented. Uh, he's a businessman. The guy's worth like billions no, of dollars. No, there's no question about that. He's made tons of money and, but he and done up. very well by himself, a philanthropist and all that. But yeah, uh, yeah I think, uh, you know, he, uh, he married Beyonce, no matter how wealthy he is, he married up there. because She's he married a, up. Yeah, so she's a gorgeous Here's one. what I think of. She is. So I think, I think in theory, theoretically, 
Beyonce would be prettier than Rihanna to me. Rihanna has sex appeal. Beyonce has this classic, almost Grace Kelly kind of beauty in a sense, where there's not a lot of sex appeal coming out, but she is stunningly beautiful, though. Well, and you you talked about Jennifer Aniston. Uh, Jennifer Aniston's a beautiful woman, but you yeah. just don't find her necessarily sexy. And, and you know, that happens sometimes. What yeah. about number 13, Barry, Jennifer Lawrence? So Jennifer Lawrence, I uh, I think she's pretty. I don't – she's not above Beyonce and Rihanna to me, so that, that answers that question. They both should be higher then because I don't see her – she's a good actress. I don't – yeah, she's nobody I've ever cranked off to, Jeff. I've never thought of so, Jennifer yeah, Lawrence. I think she's – as we've mentioned now a, a few times, I think she's a very pretty woman. Yeah. She doesn't, she doesn't, you know, say sexy to me, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, she's obviously very pretty. Uh, okay. Now here's one that's going to have some widely varied opinions because I have to tell you, Barry, I will acknowledge that this woman at number 12 is a, she's very pretty. She's, she's got a, a certain sexuality to her. However, never done it for me. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's her personally. She's got a certain almost like uh, like it repels me uh, to wow. a certain extent. Jennifer Lopez. <sighs> so I could easily. I thought you were going to say Madonna for a minute because I know she. No, no, she's definitely repellent to me. Exactly. I, I know you hate her Madonna. So Jennifer Lopez, I like everything about Jennifer Lopez until she opens her mouth to speak. Oh, and that's we're going somewhere exactly, else. Exactly. That's why I. I, I snuck in to speak. She, her body, obviously her ass, I believe, is insured by Lloyd's of London. It's it's legendary. I think she has a great body. I think she, I do think she's beautiful. I think her skin looks great. I like everything about her, but she also presents to me a diva-like attitude that nothing will kill a boner than somebody who's completely full of themselves like that. So she, she comes off very vapid to me. Oh, Which, actually, by the way, first time we've ever used the word vapid on self-absorbed and oh, vapid. yeah, like yeah, yeah. she could be a Kardashian, you know, she, she is. It's Jennifer Kardashian. It's exactly what she is. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. But physically, I think she's absolutely stunning. I just don't like her. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now we're getting to the top 10. You want to talk uh, your particular boner killers uh, to use your <laughs> vernacular there, Barry? Sure. Number 10, Taylor Swift. <sighs> Doesn't do yeah, hey, Again. I think she's cute. Yes. No, she's, yeah, she's, she's cute, she's, but I don't get a pretty quality to her, but yeah, the, uh, you know, 45 boyfriends that she's been through wrote yes. a song about every one of them. And, you know, yeah. uh, there are people that'll say, well, wait a minute. If that was a guy that did that, you'd all be going, oh yeah, these guys are a ladies man. So are we being sexist pigs for calling out Taylor Swift for that, Barry? No, not at all. My and wife, I, uh, Mrs. Uh, Bowdrin, the sainted Mrs. Bowdrin, nodding her head saying, yes, you two dirtbags are being sexist. What is the sainted Mrs. Bowdrin doing home on a uh, on a Wednesday afternoon here? <clears throat> I, you know, who knows, Barry? All right. So this is what I would say. The old me. We are I recording say, now as you're talking in the background. Yes. We uh, <laughs> I've completely lost my train of thought. I, uh, what are we talking about? Taylor Swift. Uh, the St. Mrs. Bowdrin being home on a Wednesday. And she's being home on a Wednesday in the middle of the afternoon. Her schedule calls for her to be off at 1 o'clock on Wednesdays. That's there the you go. Goes, unfortunately for me. Gotcha. Go ahead. So the, the brother shippers now have Mrs. Bowdrin's schedule. We now know <laughs> we want to reach out to Jeff on Wednesday afternoons when Mrs. Bowdrin is home. So to touch on Taylor Swift, I think the me 30 years ago would have maybe congratulated a guy. At this point, if a guy's 
if a guy's talking about sleeping with a thousand women or, or letting, I, I don't have any, you know what I mean? You're, you're a douchebag. If you're doing that uh, to this stage of my life. So I don't see it. Taylor Swift, she, you know what she's like, Jeff? She's like the little sister. I just don't see again, sex appeal. Sure. She's pretty. She's cute. Like, like my little sister would be right. I just don't get it. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not going to say that uh, she's unattractive. No, right. she's, she's got a cute, you know, be it pretty quality. I don't find it necessarily sexy. So let's step forward to number nine, Barry. Again, a polarizing figure to some, but I think there is definite beauty there. Again, the question is, does the beauty also convey a sexuality? Angelina Jolie. So it does. What what hurts, because I think Angelina Jolie, her look, the pouty lips, the uh, the sensuous eyes, I think what hurts Angelina Jolie is everything else that you know about her from from, you know, having the blood of Billy Bob Thornton, who she was married to, which right there should like freak you out. <laughs> right. But then keeping a, a vial of his blood around her neck to this very contentious divorce she's going through for years and child custody with Brad Pitt. I think she's a good actress. I think she's beautiful. I think in her early years, she put forth a lot of sexuality and she was very sensuous and she definitely has pulled back on that in later years. I think by design as well. I don't think that happened well, as a mom, you know, maybe uh, she uh, decided to pull back on some of that. What do you think? I think, well, I absolutely look every, when you have a child, you do change. I don't care what anybody says you do change. And I think also she's an activist. She's, she does a lot of activism all across the world. And I think she wants to be known and be taken seriously. Meaning even though she is maybe one of the most beautiful women in the world, she's not going to put that out there. So, uh, so I actually give her a little bit of a pass though, where I still find her really hot. Cause I do think she's absolutely beautiful. It's her lips too. Those lips are, Oh like, yeah, no, that's, that's uh, a no. gift. Yeah, that's something that'll put you in the top 10 right there. Yep. So, uh, Barry, number eight. Oh, we're going to Colombia. Underneath. <sighs> yeah, I know where you're going. Shakira. What do you think, buddy? Yeah. So so where does Shakira hit? She hits on every base. So here is a woman that is not only physically attractive, not only can move her hips like no Those one else. Don't lie, baby. Those hips do not lie, Jeff. And she is extremely sensuous. I would say Shakira, and we've discussed Shakira before. I remember that conversation too. Shakira absolutely would deserve to be in the top 10 of hottest women. Yes. Yeah, she uh, definitely uh, uh, deserves possibly to be even higher on this list, if you will. So uh, number seven, Barry. Oh, she's an American Idol uh, judge. Katy Perry, what do you think? Can't stand Katy Perry. Really? Can't, okay. can't stand her. I, I'm going to tell you what I don't like about her, too. Can't so I stand you? Is that what you said? Stand, she has these little baked bean teeth, Jeff. <laughs> exactly. There's our Seinfeld reference. So Thank Katy you. Perry, I don't think she's ugly by any means. I, I can't stand her personality. I watched her on American Idol last year, and she she's just came across as really unlikable and really diva-ish and phony-ish. And I hate I hate the way she dresses. I hate these loud outfits with these big hats that she wears. 
I just don't like Katy Perry at all. I'm sure Katy Perry's all broken up too that I don't like her at all. I'm sure right now I'm she's texting her right now. Yeah, she's gonna cancel her Patreon, right? Tell Barry to go fuck himself. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's I love it. Just not a fan. Not a fan yeah. at all. I yeah. think she's very attractive. Uh, I think that uh, she's got a rocking body, but. I have to say that uh, having also watched not all, but some of last season's American Idol, uh, that she does have a personality that uh, will lead you to go, eh, you know, it, it's like if you have a certain quality, then you, uh, you, know, you know, you as you said about Jennifer Lopez, you open that mouth and the diva qualities start coming out there and it makes you slightly less attractive. So, uh, but uh, again, uh, she's very, a very pretty woman, uh, very good looking and, and you can't falter for that. Uh, let's see. Uh, number eight, Selena Gomez. I'm sorry, six, Selena Gomez. What do you think? Yeah. So Selena Gomez also falls into the younger sister. She's cute thing. Selena Gomez was on kids shows on Disney Channel that I used to watch with my kids. But so but I could also look at her and say that she is pretty. But what what's the number six? So yep. she's above Beyonce, Rihanna, Kate Beckinsale, Selena Gomez. No. Yep. Not happening. Not happening. I, you know, uh, again, I can see. Uh, I always get confused. Was she the one that dated Bieber? Yes, she was. Yeah. Okay. So then, right away, that uh, that takes away points. Uh, just have, having the uh, the lack of common sense uh, and dating that guy. Although I will say, very wealthy, uh, so you can understand it. Number five, Barry Mila Kunis. What do you think? So, Mila Kunis, yes. She is now I've seen photos with no makeup and it's not quite the same. <laughs> I think we got it clearly as a little surprised. But when Mila, Mila Kunis is on, when you see her on, whether it's that 70s show or she's doing something else, I want to say she popped into uh, two and a half men before that went off the air because she's I, she was either dating or married to Ashton Kutcher. And uh, she looks spectacular. She is really hot, I, I think, when she is on. So I would say, yeah, yes to Mila Kunis. Yeah, no, she's a, a very sexy woman. Also, let's not forget, she's the voice of Meg on Family Guy. That's right. That's yeah. Right. So uh, that might, uh, you know, if she's whispering sweet nothings and she does the voice of Meg, that might be a little creepy, though, Barry. That would no, be a little creepy, yeah. Number four, Jessica Alba. What do you think? Ah, pretty. I doesn't deserve the number four spot because shouldn't be up that high. Again, all the names that I've mentioned three or four times, all deserve to be above, in my opinion, Jessica Alba. She's pretty. I think she has some sex appeal. Does she still have an acting career? I wouldn't be aware because I haven't seen her do anything in years. But yeah, know, some, of, always... some of the people on this list, uh, yeah. I don't I don't know if they're as relevant as they were like 10 years ago. You know, exactly. so, uh, yeah, uh, Jennifer yeah. Love Hewitt, you know, like as you mentioned and and uh, some of the other ones, uh, uh, you know, again, we said this before how many times now she's a very attractive woman there's no denying that but uh maybe not deserving of the number four spot yeah. uh number three kate upton sports illustrated swimsuit edition <sighs> model so, uh, we're gonna cut through the bullshit on this now right jeff okay there's a reason kate upton's on this list are you talking about the nannies that's exactly what i'm talking about there is a kate, kate real upton. and they are spectacular <laughs> sidra is her nickname <laughs> yes, yes. She is, let's be honest. Who is not on the list, by the way? Terry Hatcher, Terry Hatcher, actually, in her younger days, especially as Sidra, she was a little plastic surgery now. She was gorgeous. She really was. Kate Upton, let's be honest, 
I don't know if Kate Upton deserves to be on the 25 most beautiful people list, but if I was making top five sexy babes of all time, Kate Upton deserves to be on that list, Jeff. Right now, let us just all say how much we must hate Houston Astros pitcher Justin Verlander married to Kate Upton. Yeah, or respect just, Justin Verlander. Uh, well, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that hate Astros because of the whole cheating scandal. True. Now, True. finding this out is going to give, uh, you know, our baseball fans even more reason to hate Justin Verlander for getting to come home every night to Kate Upton. Oh. Number two, Barry. Again, let me just say, this list may be uh, slightly outdated. This woman, again, 10 12 years ago was unbelievably good looking, but what I've seen recently, and I'm not going to say she's hit the wall, but she probably belongs in this top 25. I don't know that she belongs at number two though, Barry, Megan Fox. So I, I do think Megan Fox hits on every base, right? She's beautiful. I love, uh, I love everything about her. She's just stunning. And when she speaks, she's still hot to me. So she doesn't, doesn't give off this Jennifer Aniston, almost boyish type of appeal. She, she is really fucking sexy. The only thing I would say, I think sometimes her choice of men, but you know, who am I to judge, but she's with machine gun Kelly now. And was with uh, the kid from 90210 for years prior to that, which would be true love. I would assume, but I just don't know if she deserves to be number two. That's I, she deserves to be on the top 25. I'd even say top 15, maybe even top 10. Number two, I don't know about that, though. Well, she, and, uh, she, she made some very, besides her choice in men, she's made poor career choices because, you know, after the first Transformers movies, when when, when she was gorgeous, but then she decided that, uh, you know, I don't know if she decided she was the reason the movie was popular or something like that, uh, you know, as opposed to the giant robots. But so she decided, oh, I need to get a little pay bump and I need to get the top billing and then, the, uh, you know, uh, made some comments about the guy that was the producer who essentially said, eh, go fuck yourself. And she really hasn't done much since then, Bear. Yeah, well, she she's famous now, I think, for dating Machine Gun Kelly and getting a lot of photo apps. Every time there's a, he's a rapper too. He's a rapper. And I'll take your word Jeff. for it. Yeah, not a very good rapper, uh, from my understanding. From Our my first son. reference to Machine Gun Kelly also yeah, on this He was on a great TV show. You had Showtime. You ever see that TV show, Roadies? No. Luke Wilson. So the story and, of Dave Flaherty and his yeah. days as working for Judas Priest. I will tell you, though, Jeff, if you still have Showtime or you're streaming Showtime, you can see Roadies. I love the show. One season, I believe, and it was canceled, but I thought I loved it. I, I just thought it was this is years ago, too. I thought it was fantastic. He did play a role on that. Uh, not a great rapper, but yeah, I don't know if she acts anymore. I, I don't know. Maybe what she, she likes him. Then he have tattoos on his face. Yeah, she's into that shit. Exactly. That's, you know, that's, uh, you know, my, my daughter, I'll be honest, my daughter's got the tats and mom and I, when we were discussing the whole tattoo situation with our daughter, we said, okay, here's the rules. If you're getting tats, that's up to you. Just none on the face, none on the neck and none on the hands. Cause of course, mom, the hand therapist, nothing on your hands. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, if you're machine gun Kelly, who fucking cares if you got tats on your face, if you're Mike Tyson, who cares, but if you're going for a job interview, and you got, you know, thug life uh, on your uh, on your neck or face. It might cause someone to pause on whether or not they're going to hire you. I'm sure I'm going to get some sort of feedback from some tat freak that's on our uh, our uh, <laughs> on Facebook. Yeah. So number one, Barry. 
Uh-oh. It's it's my own personal hall pass for Mrs. Boudrin. You know who I'm talking about? It's Phoebe Cates. No. Well, who, who uh, 30 years ago would have been number one on yeah. here and is still a smoking hot even at her uh, in the 50s now, uh, but unfortunately not available to now single and ready to mingle Barry Rose. I'm talking number one. Oh, it's Ms. Black Widow herself, Scarlett Johansson, Barry. So uh, Scarlett Johansson. So Scarlett Johansson is, in my opinion, Megan Fox, but with a lot of talent. So when I say she hits on every base, she's absolutely stunning. She's gorgeous. She is appears to give off these highly sexual vibes. She's super hot. Exactly. And she's a really good actress, too. So I don't think there's a flaw. The only flaw I would say is she is married to the guy from Saturday Night Live. And I think, did she just have a baby or she's pregnant? She was, uh, the guy that did the news on Saturday Night Live. Not that, uh, uh, what you call, Pete uh, Not uh, Pete Davidson. Davidson. No, he's good. But in his defense, he's getting all the other women except yeah. for her. No, well, now you yeah. just mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, this was the guy that you should criticize uh, because, uh, you know, based on your comments about, uh, oh, God, what's her name now? Uh, Machine Gun Kelly? No, 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 no. The, the girl that uh, dates all the guys. Why can't I fucking think of her name now? Number 10. Oh, Taylor uh, Swift. Taylor Swift, uh, yeah. oh, she dates all these guys and she writes songs. Well, if Pete Davidson is nailing all these women and basically putting it out there that he's nailing all these women. Who, by the way, his latest is Kardashian. Yeah. But anyway, so Lower should we not be criticizing him for this? You can criticize. Let me tell you how much of a shit Pete Davidson's going to get if we criticize him, <laughs> too. Exactly. As he's fucking all these, like, t- tens, perfect tens, right? And, you know, and let's be honest. It, it, this is not coming from a uh, a jealousy standpoint. I mean, if he's getting all these women, you know, God bless the guy. And I, I know he lost his father in 9-11, which was a horrible, horrible situation. However, when you get a guy that's like a good-looking guy, all right? And you can sit there and go, Oh, yeah, well, he's getting all these women. He's a good-looking guy. And right. Pete Davidson does not come off, you know, as a guy that you would sit there and go, hey, he's a good-looking guy. Am I missing the boat there? No. So here's the mystery of Pete Davidson. He has been – we said Kate Beckinsale. We've said uh, – you just said uh, he's dating a Kardashian, who we're not really crazy about. He dated uh, Ariana Grande for a while. And there's there's more, which I'm just – I don't remember who they are. And you look at Pete Davidson, and he'll he'll say this about himself. He's got raccoon eyes. He's got these deep, dark circles underneath his eyes. There is something about Pete Davidson that you sit there and go, how is this happening? How is he getting all of these women? But Pete Davidson has somehow figured out how to get really, really hot women. And I don't know what it is. And I that I respect, actually. That yeah, actually no, is, I mean, like, yeah. I, maybe the guy's got an outstanding personality. Maybe yep. he's got a fucking, uh, you know, a, a third arm down there. I don't know that the, the women are turned on by. Uh, but uh, or what is it, the third arm or is it the baby arm? It's the baby arm like uh, Flair supposedly has. Uh, whatever it is, Pete Davidson definitely has his game up, you know, because uh, he's gone through the uh, uh, the plethora of the fine looking young ladies. So uh, I guess we have to give. Uh, a grudging props to Pete as we wrap up this list of Barry, the top 10 sexiest women going Scarlett Johansson coming off on top for uh, to just to end the segment, Barry, do you think Scarlett Johansson at number one is a fair ranking? I think you could make a case for some of the other names on here at the same time, at least it didn't wind up being like Madonna or somebody like that. Uh, Cause there, there was some wacky placement with the positioning on this list. 
but I think I, I'm good with Scarlett Johansson. I can. Well, I will only say if the number one uh, spot had been filled by Madonna, we'd be doing another list. Thank there you, you go. and good night, everybody. So very recently, uh, I spent some time. Uh, I think I mentioned uh, my daughter was having some work done on her house while they were out of town. So I went over there, and so I was watching. I, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I was watching Disney. Uh, on her streaming. But the reason I was watching Disney is because I wanted to access the recently released documentary, The Beatles, Let It Be, uh, that was done by Peter Jackson, who did all the Lord of the Rings movies and such like that. Eric Cholminski uh, came on our Facebook group and was just raving about the uh, the this show. Uh, essentially, you had a movie that was like, 90 minutes to two hours uh, that was released on the making of the album, Let It Be, like I don't know, like maybe 1970-ish or something like that. And one of the things people remember about that particular release was and it came off as being very sort of downbeat. It was very like uh, some people said it was depressing because it showed the breakup and the disintegration of the band. It showed them bickering back and forth. Uh, you saw Yoko Ono sitting in while they were recording songs and people got pissed off about that. So this takes a whole new look at the making of this movie. And um, Barry, let me just correct you. You have not seen this, correct? I have not, correct. Okay, did you ever see the original release of Let It Be? I don't think I ever have. Okay, no. so, uh, well, let's try again. Did you, do you like the Beatles? I like the Beatles. It's not, for a lot of people, they're the greatest rock band of all time. It's, they're not my my deal, but I uh, I like them and I, I have the utmost respect Okay. For what they've and I acknowledge that. Absolutely. Okay. So one of the things that uh, I found particularly interesting uh, about it uh, is, and if you're like any kind, you know, we we talked, uh, you know, and uh, our we do an uh, ad for Greg Klein's book, uh, The Paper Tigers. We talk about how we have people in our group that are baseball fans and baseball historians. Well, we also in our group have people that are music fans and music historians. You know, uh, uh, Craig Halleck uh, is a big music music fan music buff dave flaherty other guys like that all guys and and chris uh zaha uh big music fans and music buffs well this especially uh not only if you're a music fan and a music history buff if you're a beatles fan is like a must see because just to, it literally you see the progression where like paul mccartney's like yeah i, I got this song uh and uh here's like the opening riff to it and he basically sits down in front of the camera and starts writing out the song Get Back and tells you how he created the song. You see George Harrison sitting there and he's trying to work out the lyrics to the song Something, okay? A song, by the way, uh, Something by George Harrison, I believe Frank Sinatra said he thought was the greatest love song ever written, okay? So, uh, you know, take that. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good compliment. But you get to see how these guys progress. And also what I loved about this movie, as compared to the one that was released 50 uh, years ago, God, I can't believe I'm saying that, you see that these are four guys that essentially really like one another. And the first release of this movie 50 years ago, you saw guys that were bickering. You saw guys, and I, I don't know if it's the way the movie was edited or what, uh, but it made you seem like I'm watching four guys that really don't like each other anymore. And this movie just shows that that is not the case at all. I mean, do they have their fussing moments? You know, there's a moment where George Harrison like leaves the studio and is gone for two days. And then they go to talk to him and they work out their differences. They come back and, you know, these are four guys from, from the same town, which by the way, think about that, that you have four guys who are this huge in the music industry, not just rock music, 
Uh, but the music industry as a whole and what they meant to the music industry, that came from the same fucking town. That's just incredible, you know? And the impact they had on the music is just amazing. But I'm going to throw this little trivia note at you, Barry, because I thought this was pretty fascinating. So the original director of Let It Be, the one that came out 50 years ago, was a guy whose name was Michael Lindsay Hogg, okay? Michael Lindsay Hogg, Barry Rose, his mother, I'm going to throw this name out, and I want you to immediately make the connection of where you know this name from, okay? His mother was Geraldine Fitzgerald. Where do you know her from, Barry? Wow. Geraldine Fitzgerald, Jeff, I know from, come on, it's it's the most organic thing. It's how Breaking Kayfabe started. She played Rodney Dangerfield's mother-in-law on uh, An Easy Money. You are correct, sir. I'm very proud yeah. of you for knowing that, but... I was reading an article about Michael Lindsay Hogg and who's like a, now like 81 or something like that. And he was looking, he saw the new release and was commenting on it and was making some you know thoughts about what he felt about the film. But here's the really interesting thing in the article I read, Michael Lindsay Hogg never knew who his real father was. Okay. His mom apparently married some guy who was essentially his father figure for, you know, like 30 years or something like that, who passed away. And his mom had promised him, I will tell you who your real father is after, you know, this, uh, this guy, that's basically your surrogate father. After he passes away, I will tell you who your real father is. Okay. Unfortunately, by the time his surrogate father passed away, his mom, Geraldine Fitzgerald had begun to have early onset of dementia. Okay. Very sad. However, Geraldine Fitzgerald had told her best friend, and I can't think of the, it was an actress. And I can't think of the name who his real father was. His real father, according to uh, what his mom's best friend told him after his mom had died, Orson Welles. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good stuff, I thought. you know, That's a bombshell. Yeah, no, and, and uh, he said, uh, I don't know, but I can't imagine why my mom would have told her best friend this if it wasn't true. That's pretty good stuff. That's the kind of stuff you get only here. At Breaking K Fable about it and Barry. Barry, I know we are also always up for a little movie conversation. I happen to be reading the latest edition of Empire Magazine, one of my favorite uh, movie magazines. And Barry, they came up with, I don't know why they didn't go 10. I guess maybe this is uh, the seven most popular. Barry, the top seven James Cameron movies. Are you a fan of James Cameron? Oh, absolutely. I think he's one of the best directory, uh, best director directories or directories. Yes. Best directors in the history of film. I think he's fantastic. So you have mentioned on this fine podcast, award-winning podcast, by the way, that your favorite, I believe I'm, I'm not going to go out on a limb here, Barry, but I think your favorite James Cameron movie all time. In fact, the original Terminator movie. It would be. Yes. Okay. Correct. So let's discuss very quickly some great James Cameron movies because really truthfully, there's not a dog in a bunch here, Bear. Okay. Number seven, this is the Empire list, not necessarily mine, and I will include, after the discussion, the uh, IMDb rating for each of these movies. Barry, number seven, The Abyss. I thought The Abyss was a really good movie, and uh, I remember the day, Jeff, the day that I went to see The Abyss, I got two flat tires. My car had to go in the shop uh, to get the tires, and I still made it to the movie theater. I still went and saw it. Good You're news, a trooper. Uh, Trooper, but I think it's like a two and a half hour movie, so it gave them plenty of time. I like The Abyss. A lot of people didn't. Uh, there were some, uh, I think, uh, spoiler alert, but uh, when they find out 
what the, I guess, alien is, the alien form is. There was a lot of criticism on that. It's also at times a slow moving movie. It's not one of his faster, fast paced movies, which I think he's also known for with that. Uh, photography is absolutely beautiful. I loved, I love the storyline and I thought the ending was one of the better endings of any film that I've ever seen. So a couple points about this. I remember the tagline for the movie, the abyss was when you look into the abyss, the abyss looks back at you, which I thought was a great tagline. Uh, so this movie came out, it was the third movie of this type. The first one to come out, and I saw all three of them was a movie called Deep Star Six. Uh, Deep Star Six was uh, not a very good movie, but it was famous because it had a bunch of guys and, and, and ladies that used to be on television, like maybe four or five years before, but they're serious. Like, I, I remember there was a, a guy that had been on Hill Street Blues and Hill Street Blues was, you know, gone for a couple years. And so the guy was on uh, in this was that movie. Daniel J. Trevanti? No, it was uh, actually the guy's name was, uh, I believe, uh, Torin Black. Oh, he, uh, it was... Hill Street Blues. <laughs> it was that guy. <laughs> Be careful out there. So yeah, uh, exactly. anyway, but uh, so Deep Star Six wasn't good. That was followed up by the uh, by a movie called Leviathan, which was better than Deep Star Six. Peter was Weller. good, except there was one problem with Leviathan. Leviathan failed in that, like any good movie of this type, whether you're talking Predator, whether you're talking Aliens, whether you're talking, um, oh, Barry, uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell up the in the thing. North Pole. The thing. The thing, of course, yes. Those movies are always best when they wait until the very end of the movie to show you the monster, the creature, whatever, because yeah. your imagination is allowed to run wild. So it, it increases the uh, the impact the movie has on you. Leviathan, they showed the creature way too early, and it was a disappointment. So then after those two movies that come out, then The Abyss comes out. By the way, The Abyss, 7.5 on the IMDb scale, which is a very solid score. And... Uh, the Abyss had some uh, kind of, you know, as Cameron does in a lot of his movies, some kind of groundbreaking film work, uh, you know, like uh, some of the underwater special effects were very well done. It was, I'm trying to think, uh, who was it? It was, uh, what's the guy, Ed? Um, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. And uh, I believe it was, it was Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. That's correct. Yep. She was in it. Yeah. And then the, who was the guy that was also in uh, The Terminator? Um, Bill Paxton. No, not Bill Paxton. The but guy that, in that movie, isn't he? Yeah, but he came back. Who's the guy that came back in time to to find? Uh, oh, uh, Michael Bean. Michael Bean. He was also right. in uh, in the Abyss. So uh, this very solid movie. No complaints about this whatsoever. Let's get to number six, Barry. Now here's the movie that I thought when it first came out. I literally sat in the theater. I was like, "Holy shit! What the fuck is this?" I in a good way. I mean that. Like you were seeing stuff that was just at the time it came out was so groundbreaking, Barry. Were you a fan of number six, Avatar? Yeah, with a caveat to it. I uh, I think when I saw Avatar, I saw it a month or two after it had been released. And the hype was so great. You know, there was the these tags of greatest movie of all time. And uh, there were several reviews that were actually saying that. And then I saw the movie. And while I thought the movie was very good... I think I was disappointed because it had been overhyped. I fell into that. I think what happened was he had made a movie that's further up the list that uh, was uh, a movie that won a lot of Academy Awards, was a real groundbreaking film. And this was his first movie that I want to say he had done in like 10 years. And so there was so much hype about this movie. 
and because of how brilliant uh, from a tech technology point of view he is in filmmaking james cameron and when this movie came out it was like well holy shit he's fucking topped that movie and then you know like with anything else when you have a movie that's so universally well received kind of the blowback starts on it and i think that's what happened to avatar and then people started looking well it's like a sort of a parable about um like the way that people treated the Indians when this country was, you know, moving further westward, like using the uh, the uh, the indigenous people on the planet that they invade. It was sort of a parable the way that uh, the white man treated the Indians and and you know other minorities and stuff like that. And people started, I think, instead of just accepting the movie at face value and just the brilliant visual effects and action scenes, uh, I think people started reading too much into the movie. What do you think? Yeah, I think that makes sense, too. And I, it, I, that happens a lot, too, right? When something is so hyped, then there's always going to be a backlash towards the hype, et cetera. But uh, look, it was such a good movie that Disney World actually devoted uh, an area of one of their theme parks to Avatar. That actually says a lot. Yeah. And on the IMDb scale, 7.8. I want to say when this movie first came out, I'm thinking the score might have been a little bit higher. I think this has lost a few points. Again, as people watch it with the benefit of, you know, how many years of hindsight and they start looking for things to, you know, pick at and criticize. I think that kind of played into it also. Barry, number five, were you a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger in True Lies? I was. So I like I like True Lies a lot. I have uh, probably seen it 50 times. I like True Lies a lot. And again, Cameron working with sometimes the same people. It's Arnold. And also in this movie, Bill Paxton has yep. a very, very featured role. And there's probably others as well. So he does have this stock group of actors that do seem to work with him. Uh, but I like True Lies a lot. This may be the only movie that I can think of where Tom Arnold is used to good effect. Oh, he's great. That's man. that's rare praise because he's actually very funny in this. He, he's sort of the, the comic foil for Arnold uh, and Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, my God. Barry, that scene with Jamie Lee Curtis. uh uh, doing like the striptease for her husband, and she doesn't realize that it's her husband uh, speaking to her. It, smoking hot uh, is an understatement. Her look, she was topless in Trading Places, nineteen eighty three, and I, I remember at that point, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis was, and she was never viewed as uh, anything more than the uh, the person in the Halloween films, right? And she was like the girl next door. Yeah, she was, but it wasn't somebody that you were uh, divorcing to at all, right? So. No. Yeah, well, or I was or flaring it to uh, you know, flaring so. it, but <laughs> so, but they make an appearance in trading places, and all of a sudden, Jamie Lee Curtis is like number one on all of our lists. Yeah, so. and uh, you know, and then there's so many uh, the scenes uh, down in the Keys on the old Seven Mile Bridge uh, were absolutely amazing. Just the uh, the special effects that were used, the action uh, the action sequences, which I mean, it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. For God's sakes, there's going to be an action sequence. But uh, yeah, this is now this received 7.2. So I will tell you, of all the James Cameron movies that we're going to discuss here, this is the lowest rated James Cameron movie. What do you think of that, Barry? True Lies is. Yep. Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, I know which one for me it is, but no, it wouldn't be true lies at all. Okay. Number four, Barry. Now here we're going to have a little controversy. All right. Because I'm going to just go on a limb and guess that Barry Rose was not a fan of Titanic. 
And that's my lowest rated James Cameron <laughs> film. So <laughs> you'd be correct, sir. Wasn't that I didn't look. I what I what I like about the Titanic is when the fucking thing actually sinks, right? Because that's really impressive to see that. Take out what I would assume would be the emotional aspect of uh, of the lovers separated and one going down and the other surviving. But at the same time, the storyline. All the movie for all those people. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> really 20 something years, but didn't love it. Uh, I get the hype, but at the same, I do think when the ship was sinking, that was a really, really riveting deal. It was just everything else. It wasn't my favorite James Cameron movie by far. It was my least favorite. Well, here's the thing. Again, the special effects and the technology that he brought to the forefront in making this movie were absolutely amazing because they basically built a ship that I want to say it wasn't even half scale. It was like maybe two-thirds scale or three-quarters scale to a real fucking ship. And they sank it and filmed the the thing breaking apart and, and sink. It's like the, the filmmaking here is just like next level stuff, especially for that scene. Yeah, you've got the love sequence and stuff like that. I will mention that Kate Winslet looked pretty damn good when she right. was uh, being drawn by uh, by Leo there. Um, the uh, Now, Barry, let me ask you, of course, the award winning uh, song, uh, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Barry, I just want to ask you, after everything that's happened in your life over the last few months, in fact, will your heart go on? So my heart will go on and, and be in a better place than it was. My favorite thing I can tell you, that song too, should be, it's, it should make the <laughs> list of songs we don't like. But so I was working, Jeff, in a restaurant in New York City. Server or manager? I was a manager. Okay. And the bathroom, it was a two-floor restaurant. The bathroom on the second floor one of the pipes burst and all the water came rushing down. Oh my. And as the water is rushing down, two people at one of the tables started to sing the Celine Dion song for Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I got you gotta give credit for oh, that. Oh, funny. I, even in the middle of this, where I'm going, motherfucker, like what are we gonna do? I, I was laughing my ass off. That was really funny. So yes. Every night in my dream. Okay, I'm not gonna do a Celine Dion song. <laughs> yeah, she by the way, speaking of that, Celine after that song was just an incredible for what it was. An incredible, incredible monster hit. How quickly did you get tired of Celine Dion after that? Oh, I, I'm so tired. And if you've seen her lately, oh I, my uh, God, she's oh like, my God, what takes, happened? And Angelina Jolie looked fat. Yeah, she's very unhealthy looking. And uh, you could look at her face, yeah. which just for somebody that age. But uh, I believe, yeah, I just, Man, you know. Can like, we talk just for a minute? Uh, Barry, <laughs> allow me to take your uh, side and do a tangent here. Right. Yeah, no one ever talks about the fact that, uh, you know, Celine Dion. Have you heard the story about her and her husband? Oh, I've heard and it. The guy basically met her when she was 13, you know. Yep. And uh, uh, depending on whose side you believe or whose version of the story, uh, basically the romance might have started very soon afterwards. Have you yeah. heard that story? Oh, I've heard. Well, I mean, he, he he passed away years ago and he was a much older guy. They actually had a couple of kids. So, yeah. You know, so here's the interesting thing about that, too. He absolutely he was a I believe a music producer discovered her and then he was her mentor. Coincidentally, they then got married, I think, when she was very young, 18, 19, 20 something. But they were a couple. It was known he was doing her. Allegedly, he was allegedly doing her before she was 18 years old. That's not a one off. 
there are a bunch of people that are out there that have, have been like that. We used to have a young lady that used to come in our restaurant and what well, Mariah Carey, Mariah Carey was married to a guy named Tommy Matola. And I'm not saying that she was under 18 when they were hooking up. No, you're not that saying that. You're not saying not at all. But I'm saying maybe just do some math on that and take a look. But she was very young, Mariah Carey. I think this is a, a sadly because uh, it's you know you, this is. We're not saying that Elvis Presley. Yes, we are. They have taken <laughs> advantage of poor Priscilla before yeah. uh, you know. After that conversation, with mom and dad, I'm gonna take her back to Memphis. I'm gonna I'm gonna treat her right. I won't even touch her till she's 18 though. And they both and she was like 14 when they met, you know. Yeah. And we're not saying that Jimmy Page, Howard Baum's a favorite all-time guitarist, I believe. Uh, we're not saying that Jimmy may have taken advantage of some of those younger girls back in the day. I mean, yeah, they were fucking Led Zeppelin, you know. Anyway, boy, did we get off on a tangent there? Went from Celine Dion to fucking Jimmy Page. <laughs> what other podcast gives you this kind of uh, circle of life? We go from Celine Dion to Jimmy Page. All right. Now number three, Barry. Now we're getting into Barry. Oh, by the way, it's Titanic 7.8 on the IMDb scale. And also Academy Award Best Picture, I'm pretty sure. I think it was, yeah. uh, was it 1998, 1999, something like that. Number three, Barry. Now we're in Barry's wheelhouse. Number three. Only the third best James Cameron movie. It was The Terminator from 1984. Barry, your thoughts. Yeah, so look, there are movies. We'll all sit here and we'll all say... There are certain movies for you, Jeff, the first time you saw uh, Blade Runner was in some ways life changing for you. And I saw the Terminator the first time I knew that I, when I walked out of the theater, I was like, that was so much fun. And there's little things in the plot that, you know, you can go, why does the Terminator have an Austrian accent if he's a <laughs> robot? You know? Ignore that. Ignore exactly. That. There's little things like that. But overall, this is a really, really fun, good movie. I must have seen it 200 times. And every time it's on cable, which is frequently, doesn't matter what, what part of the movie, I will stop and I will watch the rest of it. It's my favorite. There were some other good Terminators, but the first one to me, the original, the best. So I think the only part of this movie that does not hold up, being kind, 1984, is Linda Hamilton's hair. <laughs> I knew you were going to say she that. She used a lot of fucking Aquanet, uh, Aquanet on that hair. But yeah, other than that, everything else in the movie, you could sit there and play, oh, yeah, this is great stuff, but what's the fuck with her hair? But, of course, in 1984, it was like, oh, she looks wonderful. That's the way all the girls are wearing their hair. Uh, you know, I don't know whose voice I'm doing there, but uh, no, this was a groundbreaking movie. So many friggin' things. At, there became so many movies that were based on this, you know, and... This movie, I can't even begin to describe how this movie just jettisoned Arnold into the stratosphere. I mean, he had made Pumping Iron. He'd made one or two uh, other you know, films that were successful. But I mean, this like just took him like from first gear and he went right into fifth gear, Barry. Yeah, he did, too. It, it, and this look, Jeff, you're 100 percent correct. Check. This is the movie that made Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he made uh, a slew of movies right after. Most were actually really fun, enjoyable, as you like to call them, Jeff, popcorn movies. It's a Saturday. You can sit. Good news. Don't have to follow the plot too deeply. You know, you can just be there and uh, and enjoy the movies. But this made Arnold exactly what he is, because prior to this, Arnold really hadn't done a whole lot. Done, done Conan. He had done the Conan movies, but that, that didn't make him a megastar. This is the one that did it, and this will always be my favorite Arnold movie. So I do want to mention 
Barry Rose, a little trivia. All right. Do you know, since you love this movie so much, who was the original choice to play the Terminator? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. No. I don't know. Who was it? The original choice by James Cameron to play the Terminator before Arnold Schwarzenegger eventually got the role, a gentleman by the name of O.J. Simpson. I did hear that before. O.J., wow. Could you imagine? Yeah, that probably would have skewered repeat viewings of the movie, I'm just going to yeah. say. Yeah. So now, Barry, number two, a movie that recently, I, I think, did pretty well in our uh, action movie tournament that we did recently. It's Aliens. Jeff, the world wants to know, when is the next tournament coming up? <sighs> it's a fair question. I've been thinking about it. Maybe by the time this show comes out, I will have started. Maybe uh, first of the year, we will start a new tournament. I've got some ideas. By the way, I should mention the Terminator, uh, that it was at number three, an 8.0 on the IMDb scale. So now, Aliens, Barry, what did you think? Again, like as you said, these are guys that have been in camera movies. He's got a staple of a... Uh, a uh, stable of artists that he brings along. Michael uh, Michael Bean was in this movie too. So, what'd you think of Aliens? Bill Paxton is in, is he in this? Also? You're right. I believe he is. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Paxton and uh, in the late Bill Paxton too. I should say too when when you were talking about the rating for Terminator, Rotten Tomatoes. I want to say it's either a 98 or a 99. It's literally as close to perfection as you can get. So I liked Aliens a lot, or I liked Alien. I should say a lot. It is a it's a great movie. There are some scenes in that movie uh, that are iconic, that it were copied. Saturday Night Live did a takeoff on it, but everybody's done something when the, you know, when the creature pops out of the guy's chest, right? That Alien, a however, a Ridley Scott movie, not a James Cameron movie. Oh, is that true? Yes, yeah. that's true. That is right, yeah, yeah. But big, big fan. Big fan of, uh, of, of actually all the aliens, but I think a lot of it for me also, Jeff, it's Sigourney Weaver. I oh, love yeah. Sigourney Weaver, yeah. yeah. 70 she, years old now, by the way. Yeah, well, she wasn't 70 when that movie came out because yeah. she was still smoking hot. And uh, not only to her credit, she was one of the very first female characters that I will say she was beautiful and she absolutely kicked ass in this movie. You know, like with the gun, uh, you know, the guns when she and the first alien when she got in the, the friggin' Uh, what is that, that, that suit, uh, and, and the alien was, was coming down on the, uh, the little kid. And she said, you leave her the fuck alone or something like that. And she was uh, all of a sudden, this was a badass female character in a movie that, you know, was kicking tail and taking names and you loved it. And she was hot as hell. Yeah. And you know what? And she, I think based off, she she's taller I mean, she's a taller woman. Yep. She was always been fit. So you also believed it. Right. This wasn't a, uh, a a woman. This was a woman that you believed was going to be kicking somebody's ass. So it did work out. Yeah. And uh, I will also say, Barry, do you remember how creepy that scene was where they're going through the the ship and they're they're looking for, uh, you know, uh, where are the aliens? And they realize that they're in the area where the alien has made their nest and they see all the cocoons. Yeah. And like all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck, this isn't going to end well. Yeah. So, yeah. Great movie. Now, Barry, as we begin to wrap this segment up, number one, the best, by the way, Aliens, 8.3 on IMDb scale. The best James Cameron movie of all time, according to the folks at Empire Magazine, with a IMDb scale of 8.5, Barry. Oh, yeah. It's the best Terminator movie, Barry. It's T2, Judgment Day. 
So a lot of people will look, I I won't deny it. It, it, Theoretically, Terminator 2 is probably a better movie than the first one. The special effects alone were groundbreaking when that occurred. And, And when you watch it today, they're still mesmerizing a lot of those special effects. In some ways, it is a much better movie than the first one. And the first one, let's be honest, it wasn't, you know, the, it, it wasn't this. I think the budget for the second one was probably two to three times what the first one was. Yeah, that's would, probably pretty fair. Yeah, at least, right? I mean, the special effects were off the chart. There is a charm to the first one that I like, and it is a, because it is a little raw. But that second movie, wow. I remember seeing that also in the theater and, and just being blown away. And which scene blew you away? Well, it was the one where Robert Patrick, the ter- the other Terminator, was sliced in half and then melded his body back together. There's so much about that movie where you sit there and you go, holy shit, that's incredible to see that. Yeah, and then the uh, the chase uh, in the uh, the Los Angeles, uh, what do they call that, the, the, the river? But the uh, basin wasn't the, the river the basin? basin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know the uh, the kids on his little motorcycle and yep. Uh, yep. Robert Patrick chasing him down the eighteen wheeler. And here comes Arnie on his big fucking Harley. He grabs the kid and he's uh, turning around with the shotgun. And uh, that's just that's a great action sequence. There's no fucking way around it, Barry. No, it's not, Jeff. Can you name another movie that has used the L.A. River Basin uh, the same way that they did, or a similar way? Um, to live and die in L.A. I think they actually did, actually. Now, I was thinking of Repo Man, which is my favorite movie of all time. They really, they used it. But I do think To Live and Die in L.A. did it as well. A lot of restaurants filmed in L.A. if they're having a chase scene. That river basin, uh, if when it's when it's open and there's no no water down there, then yeah, yeah, no, that that tends to put a damper. Also, hey, here's a movie yeah. you forgot, Barry, that was filmed in the L.A. River Basin was in fact not the uh, the car race scene from Greece filmed there. That I don't know. Yeah. Not a big fan of Greece, are you? <laughs> not really, to be honest with you. Yeah, we're racing for pinks, pink slips, asshole. Anyway, so yes, Terminator Two, Judgment Day, fantastic movie. So many. Fucking iconic scenes in this movie. Uh, Arnold at his absolute zenith. Now, you know, we've talked before, uh, was it Terminator 3 was uh, Rise of the Machines? That had uh, not as good a movie. Good yeah. female heel lead in that. And by the way, what happened to her? Like she, have you seen much of her lately? Who was that? Uh, wasn't wasn't Fomka. Lou, help us out. It wasn't Fomka Jansen, I don't think. But uh, she had that. Natasha red, Henstridge, was that who? No, I don't, I don't know. know. She had that red leather outfit on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And uh, that was good. Great car chase where they've got the major piece of construction equipment and they're like going through the, they're leveling buildings and stuff like that. That's great. But the first two are the ones that you uh, are your go-to uh, movies in the Terminator series. I don't think without question bear. Sweet Lou checking in Christiana Loken. Yeah. I, I'm it. I'm looking for her because uh, yeah, she was a see what I did there. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, no, she was got yeah. So uh, Terminator Two Judgment Day eight point five, a full half a point in front of the original Terminator Barry. Yeah, I, which you know again I I get it, but uh, yeah, I just had to throw that in your face. Yeah, like uh, whatever. Yeah, sure. How about the last one, Jeff? Uh, the last one, Dark Fate. Would- you saw Dark Fate. Yes, I like Dark Fate. I thought that was one of the better ones since the first two. That was at least as good as Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. The ones like, I guess, it would have been four and five, not as big a fan of. 
Yeah. So I, and I think we're the same. If, uh, if you don't have Arnold, I mean, to me, Arnold should be in a Terminator movie. It's kind of like when they made Halloween three and it had nothing to do with what the first two had been Season about of the witch. And I liked the movie in hindsight. I certainly hated it when it first, when it first came out, I've watched it actually in the last year, I think twice and it's unusual and it's fun, but at the same time, just change the name of the movie. Like it's like the ghostbusters when we talk about that. And I'm not I'm talking about the all-female version of the Ghostbusters. Just give them a different name. Call it something different. See, what's great about this show, folks, is we're talking James Cameron movie. And we managed to talk about, uh, you know, Season of the Witch. We managed to talk See? about uh, stuff that has nothing to do with James Cameron or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Here as we wrap up episode 222, Room 222, again, I will mention. It's been a fun discussion. Great match uh, showing that Kings Road style. Hey, you're hot women. Uh, Cameron films, let it be discussion. We had a little bit of everything for somebody uh, this week. This is absolutely, this is a huge show. When Why, stop, Barry? Because what are we? Jeff, we are nothing if we are not givers. Even in you know, the new year, we continue yes. to be Yes. So we, we first episode of the new year, this episode dropping January the 4th, this is absolutely huge. We, have, we, are, we are gifting the brothership with this epic episode, Jeff. Absolutely. That's us. So, I will say on behalf of my co-host, Barry Rose, the <laughs> newly romantic Barry Rose. <laughs> yes, indeedly do. We're going to have to get into that uh, in greater detail, perhaps. Maybe more salacious details on the Patreon channel. Oh, <laughs> that's what they call a tease. So uh, besides that, I will say for uh, Barry Rose, I am Jeff Bowden. Sometimes they call me the booker. Our producer out in the Bay Area, Sweet Lou Kippelman, who I will just, I will just tease this, Barry will have a story of his own to tell about what he did over the New Year's, maybe in a couple of weeks, because it's something we have to hold off, and that will be explained in further detail in a couple of weeks why we can't talk about it now. But Lou is going to have a story, I have absolutely no doubt. So on that note, uh, we will see you next week. And Lou, take it home, my man. I tell you what, Lou, why don't you take it home after I say that we are a reduction of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Fuck, I forgot again. 